Monica was a single mother. She had one child, a son, and every night Monica would, as she was putting her son to bed, she would lay hands on her son and pray over him and sing hymns over him, believing that God was gonna do something profound and powerful through his life. But her son, as he got older, he grew to despise everything his mother believed and stood for. He, he grew to despise and seek to disprove uh, his mother's beliefs, and uh, he began to despise his mother's God. And into his adolescence, he gained a reputation in this small little town as a drunkard and a womanizer. And uh, Monica never stopped praying for her son, but eventually the focus of his life became to disprove and destroy his mother's faith. But she never stopped praying. And year after year, she continued to pray for her son. She never gave up. And she continued to pray for his salvation. One night, she has a dream that she believes is a promise from God that one day her son will be saved. And so she begins to pray even more fervently. And so she's praying year after year. And for nine straight years, she continues to pray with no glimmer of hope, no, uh, no change of heart, nothing is happening. There's no change in the trajectory of her son's life. There's, there's nothing to indicate that he is even a little bit open to Jesus. And nine years after her dream, her son hearing of uh, uh, the reputation of Rome, which was known for its debauchery and revelry, decides that he's gonna travel there and he's gonna participate and some of the revelry in Rome. And Monica hears of his plans, and as soon as she hears about it, she, she prays all day, stays up all night, and is praying that God would prevent his travels to Rome. And so instead what happens is he decides he's gonna leave early, and the night that she stays up all night praying for him, he's actually traveling to Rome. So he goes to Rome, and what's interesting is while he's in Rome, there's one day in particular where he begins to wrestle with the destruction of his own life and in the, the lives around him caused by his own sinfulness, by his own selfishness, by the things that he's doing. And so he's in this garden in the middle of Rome and he's wrestling through all of this and all of a sudden he hears an audible voice calling out to him, telling him to pick something up and begin to read it. And he hears it over and over again. And so eventually, he kind of looks around and he finds a Bible in the garden. And he opens the Bible and the very scriptures he sought to disprove all of a sudden come to life to him. And right then and there, he surrenders his life to Jesus. Monica's son's name was Augustine. He became known as Saint Augustine one of the most influential, one of the greatest theologians in history, and he became a spiritual father to the early church. This is the power of prayer. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated a woman named Annie. I think Annie's here this morning. Annie was baptized right over here. And she came to faith, she surrendered her life to Jesus, and she was baptized over here after her friend had prayed faithfully for her for 38 years. She gives her life to Jesus and was baptized. 
There's another one of our uh, staff members. As, uh, as she grew into adulthood, I mean, she lived in absolute rebellion against her parents' faith, and her parents continued to pray over her faithfully, and eventually she came back to the Lord. One of our elders' sons was diagnosed with a life-threatening condition, came forward for prayer here on a Sunday, had no idea who, like, didn't have any relationship with the people that were praying over him. They laid hands, prayed over him, and the doctors confirmed that he was miraculously healed of a life-threatening condition. Okay? Yeah. My grandmother... For seven years, while my life was spiraling out of control, she faithfully prayed for me, and after seven years of her praying, God rescued me from heroin addiction and gave me a purpose and direction in life. These are just a few examples of the power of prayer. Right, let let me just ask, how many of you, show of hands, have, have seen God move miraculously through your own prayers or somebody praying for you? Look around. That's almost every hand in the room. It's incredible what God does when God's people pray. And for some of us, we hear this, and, and it, it causes us to go, yes, that's what God can do. Amen, I've experienced that. We need to be praying. People, these stories, they build our faith. They increase our faith. And yet, for others of us, when we hear these stories or we see the hands raised, for others of us, these stories bring up something incredibly disheartening and painful. Because for every story of the miraculous, there's also a story of silence. For every story of God answering prayer, there's also a story of unanswered prayer, at least the way we wanted it to be answered. And we say, well, that's great for all those people who had their prayers answered, but what about when I needed God to move? What about, what about this moment over here where I begged God to do something and he was seemingly absent or silent? And what I was praying for, you can't argue that this wasn't a good thing. And still, somehow, God didn't come through when I needed him most. How could a good God, a God that is truly good, or a God that is all-powerful or all-wise or all-knowing, intervene for some people and not for other people? And why does he take so long sometimes to intervene? Like, why did it take nine years for Monica and her son? Why did it take 38 years for Annie? Why, why does God wait so long sometimes? Right, do you just have to be praying and you just catch God when he's in a good mood? Or do you have to say the right words in the right order and be in the right posture and find the right combination to get God to do what you want him to do? Or do you have to just be really, really holy in order to get God to answer your prayers? Because for many of us, and I think for all of us to a degree, if we're really honest, there's some part of us, at least in our moments of weakness, there's some part of us that we wonder, do my prayers actually matter? Do they actually make a difference? Do they actually change anything? I mean, I've wrestled with this question at different times in my own life where I've been radically disappointed and heartbroken over 
God's silence or apparent absence in given situations. And we ask the question, do my pray? If God, if God is gonna do whatever he's gonna do, whether I pray or not, then why pray in the first place? If he is sovereign, if he's in control, do my prayers actually have power or not? Does it make any difference at all? C.S. Lewis, many of you know he, he was a staunch atheist before he came to Christ, and he articulated this argument so well. He says this, he says, even if I grant your point and admit that answers to prayer are theoretically possible, I still think they are infinitely improbable. I don't think it at all likely that God requires the ill-informed and contradictory advice of us humans as to how to run the world. If he is all wise, as you say he is, doesn't he know already what is best? And if he is all good, won't he do it whether we pray or not? And it's for this reason that we freeze up when it comes to prayer. Because on one hand, many of us would say, prayer matters and it changes things. And on the other hand, many of us, if not all of us, have experienced the disappointment of unanswered prayer. And we get stuck. We, we get frozen or paralyzed in this place where we're going, Okay, I've seen God answer some prayers over here, but not these ones over here, and so do my prayers actually matter? And it's like we're stuck in this mud pit and can't seem to climb our way out. And for that reason, we just stop praying altogether. Or we begin to pray vague and general prayers, safe prayers. And this is where we get to one of the most profound invitations that Jesus gives us in the Lord's Prayer. This is mind-blowing. So Matthew 6.10, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Now remember, this is Jesus' response to his disciples' request to teach them how to pray. And what Jesus does here is he extends an invitation for us to pray prayers that change earthly realities to change things on earth. It's an invitation to pray redemptive prayers. Prayers that push back the evil in the world. Prayers that war against darkness. Prayers that bring about tangible and practical change into our world and into the lives of people around us. Prayers that bring heaven to earth now. And again, some of us hear that and we go, yeah, that's right. And others of us hear it and we go, mm, I don't know. Look at what Jesus tells us about prayer. And all throughout the Gospels, I mean, it's mind-blowing what he tells us, okay? Luke 11, Jesus says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 14. Uh, sorry, John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Matthew 7, 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I, I, I just absolutely love the way that Tyler Statton puts this. He, he writes, he says, if we really took Jesus' invitation seriously, if we really believed in the sort of prayer that Jesus talked about, the modern church would have a hard time getting its people to do anything but pray. If we really believed what Jesus says about prayer, that's all we would be doing all the time. But the problem, well, there's multiple problems, but one of the problems is just on these verses that Jesus, he tells us, he challenges us, he says, pray anything in my name, I'll do it for you. Now, our problem is there's all kinds of uh, wrong theological viewpoints that splinter off of these verses. Like if I really believe that God is gonna give me a Lamborghini, he's gonna give it to me, because he said so. Or if I pray hard enough that this person would fall in love with me, that's gonna happen, because Jesus said, and if I just use his name, it's gonna work, right? No, wrong, okay? This is the slippery slope of the prosperity gospel nonsense. Like, it, it's, it carries with it such a self-centered, self-serving arrogance. It carries with it a, an over-inflated view of your own importance, and honestly, it is a spiritualized and twisted excuse to indulge your fleshly and sinful desires. This is the antithesis of what Jesus is inviting us into. Jesus is not saying that God is some genie and if, if, you, if you just make your three wishes, he'll grant them to you and you can use them however you want, right? That, that's not the invitation of God. If you remember last week, we talked about the story of Jacob. God looked at Jacob and said, Jacob triumphed when? When he stopped chasing the things that God could give him and started chasing God himself, right? And then God says, You'll no longer be known as Jacob. You are now Israel, one who has wrestled with God in triumph. And, and, and on top of that, look what James says, the half-brother of Jesus. Look what he tells us about prayer, which if ever you need a good argument that Jesus was who he claimed to be, it's that his brother believed that he was the son of God. What would it take you to convince your siblings that you were God in human flesh? Right? So the half-brother of Jesus says this in James 4.3. He says, you do not have because you do not ask, okay? You don't have because you're not asking. But then he says, you do ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly. What does that mean? You ask in order to spend whatever you receive on your passions. He's saying if you pray with self-serving motives and, and selfish desires, sinful desires, fleshly desires, you, you seek to elevate yourself or to remain independent from God, or increase in sinful living, of course, if you're praying those kind of prayers, of course you're not gonna receive from God. See, the invitation, this is the beauty of the Lord's Prayer, the invitation of the Lord's Prayer is to pray, your kingdom, not mine. Your will, not mine. On earth, as it is in heaven. It's a laying down of the self 
will. It's a dying to yourself. It's an invitation to step out of that endless spiral into the self. My comfort, my pleasure, right? my wants, my desires. It's a turning away from the deadly consumerism of a me-first culture and intentionally inviting heaven into the darkness and brokenness of this world and the world around us. Another word for this is intercession. The word to, to intercede means to come between. It's, it's to plea on behalf of a circumstance or a person. And, and what's interesting is we don't think about this often because we wrestle with the power of prayer. Do you realize the most loving and powerful thing you can do for anybody else on this planet is pray for them? It's the most loving and powerful thing you can do for them. Why? Because human beings are incredibly limited. We are finite, we are flawed, and we are fickle. And when you pray for somebody, what you're bringing to bear for that person is something pure and something that is infinitely more powerful than you are. Because only God can change the human heart. Only God can align the circumstances of this world in order to accomplish his good will and purpose. You can't do that. I can't do that. We're ex extremely limited in what we can control and influence. And this is the invitation of prayer. Going to the God who controls everything, who's in charge of everything, who has the power to change anything. Right? That's what prayer is. That's the invitation of prayer. John 15, it says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. When you intercede for somebody, when you pray for somebody else or pray over a circumstance that's gonna impact other people, this is exactly what you're doing. You are laying down your life, your time, your energy, your thoughts, your heart, your love. You're laying all of that down for the sake of someone else. That's intercession. And see, the problem in the American church is many of us, we've lost something as it relates to prayer. So many of us, and I'll catch myself doing this, we, we pray vague, general prayers. And I, I think it's for multiple reasons. The first reason is similar to what we talked about last week. We, we pray general and vague prayers because we don't know what we really want to see God do. Not in specific terms anyway. So we just pray vague prayers. I think what is more common, if we were honest, is we pray general vague prayers because we're terrified of being disappointed by God again. So we pray, we just pray very safe prayers. We pray general prayers because if we pray vague and general prayers, we won't really ever know if God answered those prayers or not. We pray safe prayers because we don't want to be disappointed by God again. We pray safe prayers because if we get specific, if we get specific in what we want to see happen, there's potential for us to be disappointed by God if he says no. But here's the problem. If you only ever pray safe prayers, you'll never be disappointed by God. 
but you'll never be surprised by him either. You'll never see God move in power if you just pray vague, general, safe prayers. And for that reason, if we're only praying safe prayers, no wonder why we're not motivated to pray. No wonder why the American church is probably the most prayerless church in human history. Because we are terrified of being disappointed by God. So we're not praying bold prayers. We're not praying risky prayers. No wonder we don't pray. Because we're praying in ways that just keep us from being disappointed or let down by God. But we'll never be surprised by him. We'll never see the power of God if we're only ever praying vague prayers. You won't ever see God do the miraculous in you and through you if you only ever pray safe prayers. See, the phrase on earth as it is in heaven is so profound because it teaches us. Church, it teaches us what to pray for. Think about it. On earth, you can't go 10 minutes without seeing how badly our world is falling apart, how broken and divided our world is. You can't go 10 minutes without hearing about violence. I mean, just think about what's happening in Israel or even what's happening in our own backyard. There is story after story after story of pain, of heartache, of disease, of disappointment, of division, of hatred, of violence. There's story after story of how our world is falling into disarray and disorder. And it comes with this, this ache and this sadness and this grief and almost this resignation that this is just the way the world is. And there's something in us, when we look at all of these things, we go, this is not the way it should be. And you're right. The biblical storyline tells us that God did not design the world this way. God didn't design it to be this way. That's on earth. But Jesus invites us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Think about heaven. Think about the Garden of Eden. I mean, human beings walking in perfect relationship with the creator of the universe unhindered relationship with God and with one another and with the created order. Everything was as it was intended to be. No sin, no sickness, no disease, no death, no pain, no heartache, no suffering, no tears. That's the way God designed the world. This is God's original design. And the invitation to pray on earth as it is in heaven is an invitation to pray according to God's original design. I love the way that David Wells writes it. He says, prayer is in essence rebellion. Rebellion against the world and its fallenness. The absolute and undying refusal to accept as normal what is pervasively abnormal. Prayer is the refusal of every agenda, every scheme, every interpretation that is at odds with the norm as originally established by God. See, from God's point of view, the things that are out of alignment with his kingdom and his will are all of the things that we just sort of tend to accept as ordinary parts of life. We just accept them. And we live with this apathetic resignation to sickness, disease, disorder, brokenness, division, violence, cycles of retribution, all kinds of injustice. We just say, ah, oh, it's normal. It's just the way the world is. But to intercede, to pray heaven to earth, means 
to find, to look for and find the broken areas of this world and put a bullseye on them and pray heaven into each and every one of those scenarios. That's prayer. Praying heaven to earth, praying the perfection and beauty of heaven into the brokenness of our world and seeing God move in miraculous power. That's intercession. See, God healing someone of cancer or delivering somebody from addiction or casting out a demon or God healing a disease or bringing justice or mending what's broken, it's not so much an extraordinary event as it is a return to God's original design. It's pushing back the darkness of a fallen and broken world as we invite the beauty of heaven into every situation, into every relationship. And, and here's the beauty of it. It's God's people walking in the authority that God has given to them as his children to come boldly to him, calling heaven to earth through our intercession and petition. Karl Barth said it this way. He says, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning, I love this, of an uprising against the disorder of the world. I want to be a part of an uprising against the disorder of this world. Albert Walters, he said it this way. He said, it is particularly striking that all of Jesus' miracles, with the exception of the cursing of the fig tree, are miracles of restoration. Restoration to health, restoration to life, restoration to freedom from demonic possession. Jesus' miracles provide us with a sample of the meaning of redemption, a freeing of creation from the shackles of sin and evil and a reinstatement of creaturely living as intended by God. See, so many of us as Christians, we, we go through life and, and we're just sort of waiting for heaven one day. We're just sort of biding our time until we get to go home to heaven, until we die or Jesus returns. Either way, and like any day now, come on. So, so many of us are just waiting for that to come while we resign ourselves to just accept the world as broken, divided, and utterly lost. And God is looking at us today, church, and he's going, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? The resources of heaven are at your disposal now. They're accessible to you and available to you now. See, it's not your kingdom come, your will be done one day down the road. It's your kingdom come now. Your will be done now, on earth, now, as it is in heaven. And God's going, I'm ready now. <laughs> come on, what are you waiting for? The resources of heaven are available right now. Start asking, start seeking, start knocking, start praying bold, specific prayers. Prayers that have power to change earthly realities. Prayers that have the power to move mountains. Begin to pray boldly. James 5.16, it says the prayer of a righteous person has what? Great power as it is working. Do my prayers matter? Your prayers have great power. Luke 10.19, behold, I have given you authority. You have authority to do what? To tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And if that's the case, if we really believed 
that, we wouldn't be able to stop praying. We'd be praying all the time. We would be interceding for everyone, everywhere, all the time. God's people, it, it would be so annoying. We just would not stop praying, right? And not vague, general, safe prayers, bold, specific prayers. General prayers do not result in specific action. And if we wanna see God move in power, we gotta get specific with what we wanna see God do. And the reality is, church, if you're still going, ah, I don't know, just think about this. Jesus, God in human flesh, would not have instructed us to pray on earth as it is in heaven if it weren't possible. Or if it weren't something that God wanted to do. He would not have taught us to pray this way. And of anything he could have commanded us to pray. This is what he says. On earth, now, as it is in heaven. So let me ask you a couple questions. First question is this. Thinking about this last week. If God answered every prayer that you have prayed this last week, what would happen? And would you know? If God answered every prayer you've prayed this week, would anybody be saved? Would anybody be healed? What would happen? Do you know? Okay, so for today, if you could ask God for one specific thing today, one thing, no matter how impossible or improbable it might seem to you, what would you ask God for today? If you could see God do one thing in your world, in you, around you, on somebody else's behalf, what would you ask for? And here's what I want you to do. Um, and maybe it's in your Bible or a journal or the connection card or whatever. Here's, I want you to grab a piece of paper right now, right where you're sitting. I want you to grab a piece of paper and a pen or if you don't have that, you can use your phone. You can use your phone in church, it's okay. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about, in specific terms, what do you want to see God do in your life? Specifically, who, what, where, when, why? In specific terms, write down, if, you could, if God could do one thing, if you could ask God to do one thing, I want you to write it down. What do you want him to do? What area of brokenness do you want him to heal? Where do you want to see heaven invade the fallenness of earth? Maybe it's someone's salvation. Maybe it's the healing of a disease. It might be reconciling a relationship or the healing of a marriage or deliverance from depression or anxiety or addiction. Where do you want to see heaven invade earth? Write it down, and I want, you, I want you to do this. As you're writing it down, I, I want you to put today's date next to it. Put the date. And I want you to take this, whatever you're writing on, uh, I, I want you to take it, and I, I want you to come back to it over and over and over again, and I want you, 
And this is the invitation of God to continue to seek and ask and knock, to be persistent in prayer until you get an answer. Until God answers your prayer. And he might say, yes. Or he might say, not yet. Keep asking. Or he might say, no. And it doesn't mean that God's not good. This is the invitation of God. And here's, what, here's actually what I believe is gonna happen. I believe as we all do this, I believe as we get specific and bold and we stop praying safe prayers and we begin to pray dangerous, faith-filled prayers, I believe that God is gonna start showing off. I believe that God is gonna show up in ways that you've never dreamed of. Why do I think that? Because the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 3. He says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Say immeasurably immeasurably more. I can't even say it. (laughs) You can't even measure how much God is able to do. You can't even measure his power. He's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. The greatest thing you can come up with, God can do more. The biggest thing you can dream up, God can do better. He can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to not our power, his power that is at work within who? Us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Imagine, imagine what would happen in you as you begin to see God move in power. As you begin to see God work In specific ways because you're praying specific prayers. Because you know if God is answering those prayers or not. Imagine when God starts answering these prayers and bringing your requests, blowing them out of the water. Going far beyond what you can ask or imagine. God answering prayers, bringing heaven to earth in situations that you thought were utterly hopeless. What is that going to do to you? What's that going to do in the lives of people you're connected with? I mean, faith is gonna grow exponentially in you, in your family, in your community, as God begins to show up in incredible ways. And imagine, as God begins to answer a lot of these prayers that we're bringing to him, and all of a sudden, there's testimonies that start to bubble up of God moving in miraculous, powerful ways. What's that gonna do in us? I'm telling you, it will change us. It will change you when you see God to begin to move this way. And I don't know about you, but I wanna pray prayers that bring heaven to earth. I wanna be a part of an uprising against the disorder of this world. What would happen if we took Jesus' invitation to pray on earth as it is in heaven, seriously? I think it's worth finding out, don't you? So, in addition to your written prayer, here's what we're gonna do. Church, would you stand with me? Our prayer team is gonna come up. The team is gonna lead us and here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray. And the invitation for you as the prayer team is up here, the invitation to you is to bring your specific requests to God and to join the faith of other people as you bring those before the Lord. And I love this, Matthew 18, 19. Jesus says, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. That's a pretty great invitation. 
And you say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Okay, wait, wait, wait. What does he say? If two of you agree on earth, it doesn't say how it will be answered or when it will be answered. It just says, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Here's the invitation today. Let faith grow in you. Trust. If you've been disappointed by God, trust him again. Trust him again. Ask again. Come before him again. And church, let's intercede together and see an uprising against the fallenness and the brokenness and the disorder of this world. Let's pray in ways where we actually see heaven meet earth. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Heavenly Father, as we come to you now in prayer, God, I pray that faith would arise in your people and that we would believe you for very specific things. God, that we would begin to pray specific, bold, dangerous prayers. Prayers that maybe, maybe we would be disappointed that you didn't answer the way we wanted you to, but, but God, thank you that we can trust you no matter what, knowing that you have good plans and you are orchestrating things for your goodwill and good purpose. We can trust you in that even if we don't see it or understand it this side of heaven. But God, we wanna be surprised by you. We wanna pray bold, dangerous prayers and see you move in power. We wanna see heaven meet earth. And so we come to you today and we invite heaven here in our lives, in this place, right here, right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen? amen. Come bring your request to faith with other people and see God move in power, come on.